As I said, if you have your Bibles with you, please open them to 2 Timothy. We're in chapter 2. Yeah, it's a good idea to have a Bible with you either on your phone or uh, what I love to call them, the Luddite versions, you know, the printed ones, like one of these right here. Uh, If you don't have a Bible with you and you would like a printed version, we do have some uh, beside the offering jar there. And if you don't actually own a physical body uh, Bible, you can take that home with you. We'd love to have that uh, given to you as a gift. So we're going to be in chapter 2. This is our pattern as a church. We go through books of the Bible verse by verse. And uh, we decided almost a year ago now to go through the pastoral epistles as part of this uh, season as a church. And so we started last September in 1 Timothy and spent 12 weeks there. I took an Advent break for an Advent series, then started 2 Timothy at the beginning of January. And again, from my perspective, I got to tell you, like it's just as your pastor and the lead teaching elder here, um, I, I just, I love these, these letters. I, I have, you know, come on, I've read Timothy uh, first and second and Titus, which we will do, Lord willing, um, after Easter, many, many times, really. And, but it's different. When you, when you spend the time, uh, whether you're uh, the teacher uh, or the, quote, the, the learner sitting here as we all are as disciples, and then you go into community and you dig deep into these things, man, it's amazing. So I, I hope you've enjoyed that um, and are learning from it and, and, and the Holy Spirit is doing some work in your lives. It's, it's remarkable to go back into the day and, and, uh, and actually see the people in that day in the church at that time as, well, first of all, real people, <laughs> real believers who um, remarkably, as we've seen through the study so far, have the same struggles we do, exactly the same. The context is 2,000 years out, but it's very similar to what we're dealing with in, in, in our culture and day and age today. So again, we, we've seen throughout this study that uh, Paul's heart, uh, first of all, when he wrote 1 Timothy four to, four to five years before this letter, 2 Timothy, was to encourage Timothy. He left him there at 30, 31 years of age as a young pastor uh, with a bunch of older men who were saying, that's fine, young son. But, you know, and he's trying to lead this church out, doing the best he can. Uh, he, he's a bit, we know from uh, the reading of Scripture, a bit on the, the shy and timid side. And so Paul's just, you know, he's trained him for 10 years. and He's going, Timothy, you've got this. And you've got this because you have Christ. And you've got the Holy Spirit. And so it's, these are letters of encouragement. And yet this second letter uh, Paul, we all know, uh, is in prison. He's chained to his cot. Um, um, it's the third time that he's been in prison, and this time he knows it's the end. And we know from history that he is put to death three to four months uh, after Timothy receives this letter. He's martyred outside of the city of Rome. And yet he writes this beautiful, incredible letter to his protege and son in the faith. And so the theme for this letter uh, we get from Paul, it's called Guarding the Good Deposit That's Been Entrusted to You, Timothy, to you, Church, to you, Glenn, to you, Rock Church. Guard it. Guard it. And we've shortened it as per our message last week to guarding the truth. Guarding the truth. So read with me, verses 14 to 19, our text for today, and then I'm going to pray one more time before we dive in. Paul, writing to Timothy, says, Remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words, which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. 
but avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some. But God's firm foundation stands, bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are his. And let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, once again, as we do each week, we just thank you. We thank you for being our God. We thank you for the revelation of yourself through your word, through the person, life of you, Jesus Christ. We thank you that uh, you're, you're not just some mystical understanding of ours. You have revealed yourself to us. You have spoken. And we just want to thank you that 2,000 years after the events of this church in Ephesus, we have this text. We have the recorded narrative and story of what actually happened. And so we thank you because so these are our brothers and sisters in this church. And uh, they've gone before us. They preserved the truth. They guarded the truth so that we would have it today. Lord, may we do the same. May we do the same. So I thank you and ask you, Holy Spirit, to help me, help us um, speak and hear your word in the way that you would intend it today. And I pray that in your worthy name, Jesus. Amen. So let's, let's start with a question this morning. Those of you who've been at The Rock for a few years, you know that occasionally I like to do that. I like to ask a question. Because this is a question that came to my mind this week related to this text. And that question is, how is your memory? <laughs> I see, I saw people go, oh, man. Right? How well do you remember, listen, how well do you remember things like dates, right? Times, events, or details of things that you studied or learned in the past, right? Um, you know, facts, for example. You know, I think most of us, as I was thinking about it, have, have actually forgotten how we learn certain things, right? You know, how we actually trained our minds to remember things, right? Everything from language, you know, repeated. Like I, I've seen uh, Anna with our granddaughters do from occasion. She'll like hold something out like, like this and she won't say bye. She'll say book, right? And, and the child will go, cookie? No, no book, right? And, and you say it over and over enough times and all of a sudden one day your little darling surprises you and says, book, but, but then we, we remember that. We have a memory because it's been trained. I, I remember being in grade school and loving uh, math quizzes. Remember your math tables? Like addition, subtraction, multiplication, right? I loved the quizzes. I wanted to win every one. I trained my mind to figure out how to multiply and add and do it really quickly so I could get my hand up first and beat Peter Pelletier, who usually beat me. But that's how we trained ourselves, right? It's, it becomes somewhat automatic. I've told all of you before about my grade 8 um, uh, teacher, Mrs. Nevin, right? And she, every once in a while, because I looked bored in her class, she'd look at me and go, repetition, repetition, Mr. Davies. That's how we learn. Thank you, Mrs. Nevin. I never forgot that. That's a long time ago, okay? That's a long time ago that I was in grade 8 at Blessed Sacrament School. But that's how we learn things. And, and oftentimes, it just becomes things, these, it becomes automatic. It's like riding a bike. Our memory does work a little bit that way. And of course there are, listen, also good habits and bad habits that can become 
automatic as well. And yet, yet, I think sometimes our memories, they need, a lot of, they need a little bit of help, don't they? Right? Like some of you at home, and I know some of you are foodies, you know, you got a little like, what is it? It's a little three by five cards called a recipe filing system, right? For recipes, right? Janice hates those things. Every once in a while, she'll, she's a great cook. Anyone who's been to our house for dinner, you know that. But she'll, she'll cook something new for us, like a recipe that she found, and she'll bring it to the table, and we'll be eating, and I'll, go, I'll be going, did you write this down? And she'll go, no. Because I'm like, because it's fantastic. Like, how, how are you going to remember? And, and then she'll often go, oh, well, got this, right? Right? Yes, we need memory helpers. And then this kind of thing comes along. And I got I to gotta ask him, is this actually a memory helper? No. Actually, no, no, it isn't. It, actually, studies will, will, will tell you that it's actually hurting our ability to remember things, our memory. Because what, what? Well, we're relying on it. I remember, again, back in my business days, I would travel to new cities to develop accounts from the marketplace. And one of my first things I would do is I'd go into a local store or gas station usually and pick up what? A map. <laughs> do they still print those things? Right? Like a map. And then I'd take it to my hotel room and I'd put it down on the table and I would look at the city of Edmonton or whatever it was I was traveling to and I would literally learn the city. I would learn the byways and highways, and the north section, the east section, whatever. Right? I would learn the city, and then I would find, okay, this stereo shop is here because I was selling stereo goods. You know, like here, here, whatever, and map it all out, and then I would figure out, okay, where am I going to get on the road, and I would do it, right? Today we have this, a thing called Google what? Maps, and this thing tells you when to turn left or right and tracks you on the road at the same time. And then you wonder why you get ads for stereo shops when you go by Best Buy. Anyway. So it's just weird, isn't it? But our memories are being played with a little bit there, and we're relying on things that maybe we shouldn't be doing. In my case, I've been thinking about my memory. It's been bothering me a little bit over the last few years. Maybe it's because I am getting a little old. Um, I said older, not old, older. Right? But I, I, I think the way it works for me is my, my, my short-term memory is pretty good. And my long-term memory, I have memories like Mrs. Nevin. I've got memories from the past, mainly because I keep repeating them, right? But I, I have memory, like, but somewhere in the middle, you know, like 15 years ago, like, I, I've got to go to Janice and go, did we go there? <laughs> did we really? She goes, yes, we have pictures. The kids were like, and I'm like, oh, okay. Like, there's a, for me, there's a little bit of a memory gap, and so it's really good that we have that. So Listen. I'm going into this for a reason this morning related to our text. Our memories on that level, I think, are one thing. But there's another type of memory that can also be, shall we just say, somewhat faulty from time to time. Another kind of memory. That kind of memory has to do with remembering what we know from experience or, or whether what we've been told on good authority <laughs> uh, is best for us is the truth about life and the way things are. And you can either live in that truth or in your own dream world, but it's somewhat faulty, our memories on that area, isn't it? it and the bottom line is it, it, sometimes it's basically this. It's not, that, it's not that we forget. It's that we willfully forget what we know to be true or what we should, in fact, be doing. We ignore our memory of those things. The Apostle Paul, you all know this famous saying of his. I mean, here's, he's 18 years in as an apostle. Uh, he's writing epistles and letters, right? He's planting churches. And then when he's writing to the church in Rome, 
in Romans chapter 7, verse 15, he stops in the middle of the letter, basically, and says, I don't know what's wrong with me. His words are, for I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want. How does he know what he wants? From memory. I do not do what I want to do, but instead, I do the very thing that I hate. So it's, it's not that the memory is not there. There's something else warring against us, right? And we know that. So our purposes for this morning, at least, uh, may I suggest this? It's not so much about remembering what to do or what not to do in Paul's economy and what he's teaching Timothy and us through the Holy Spirit, I believe, here today. It's about what not, or pardon me, what to believe, which is truth, and what not to believe, which is untruth. And that's the key. And that's why there's so much repetition in these letters. That's exactly why Paul has been exhorting Timothy and the church for years now. In both letters, Paul warns over and over and over again, I know, I know, about what? False teachers and false teaching. He repeats it over and over. And I know some of you are like, Glenn, what are you doing going there? I'm reading the text with you because Paul's doing that. And he's doing it for a very good reason. But then... The other thing that we have to see, and we do see almost every time, he counters that with a teaching to Timothy, which basically says, Timothy, uh, you know it exists. I'm telling you that you know that it exists. And he's getting letters from Timothy. What do I do about this? And he's saying, forget about them. Forget about that. Preach the word. Read the scripture publicly. Teach them in the church in Ephesus the truth over and over and over again. And you know what? They'll be able to smell the counterfeit in a second. That's your job. That's what you're to do. Guard the truth. So with that all in mind, let's have a look at our first verse for today. Verse 14 in chapter 2 will be on screen. And now look, there's a change here. Change at this point in this, this letter. Now he says, remind them of these things. And charge them before God not to quarrel about words, which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. Well, as I was preparing for this, and so that this message won't go on for an hour, I, I was, I, at first I was like, I really want to do a flyover with you throughout all of 1 Timothy and where we are so far in 2 Timothy, just to just be able to see how repeatedly he brings these key matters to Timothy's and reminds Timothy and reminds Timothy and reminds Timothy. It's, it's powerful if you see it, and it's awesome. I, I'm not going to do that because of time, but just a couple of highlights just in this letter, in 2 Timothy. He, he says at the beginning of the, 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 this letter to Timothy, he goes, Timothy, I remember you in my prayers. So, he's, his memory, as he's in prison, chained, waiting to be executed, he's remembering Timothy and remembering to pray for him. And that's seen in the third verse in the first chapter. From there, he tells him he remembers his tears. Timothy's tears at various times while they traveled and planted churches and and they they were abused and persecuted. He remembers his tears. What's he doing though when he's writing this letter? And he says, I'm remembering these things. Well, he's reminding Timothy. It's a reminder. And then in uh, the fifth verse in the first chapter, he tells him that his memory reminds him of Timothy's sincere faith that he got from his grandmother Lois and his mother Eunice. Again, he's reminding Timothy of this. 
But he says, I remember, and I'm reminding you in the way that I'm doing this. You remember also in the first chapter, this will be on screen for you, verse 6, he says, for this reason, here you go, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. So this whole idea of memory and reminding and repeating is really important in the church. Paul does it over and over. Peter does it. Jesus did it. Same to, you know, we read parables by Jesus and we go, that, well, that was all. He, he repeated those parables in many different places. And why? For the new people to hear the parable? Of course. But also for his disciples to hear it because it was oral and remember it and record it in the power of the Holy Spirit, of course. So these are really, really great words. So twice in the letter so far, he related each time that he's encouraging Timothy to remember through all of this who you are, Timothy. I need to remind you of who you are, to help jog his memory, to sharpen his memory, to give him confidence, to motivate him, to keep going. Timid Timothy. And so that's why he does this. And it's with great importance then that he also says, now listen, be sure in all things, in all things, and he repeats this as well, remember Jesus Christ. Sure, remember our trips together and remember the tears and remember what we dealt with, but remember the Lord. Remember Jesus Christ, his testimony, his gospel, and his call on your life and mine. It always has to come back to the hero of the story, who is Christ. And now at this key point on in the letter, he says, this is interesting, remind them. Everything so far in 1 Timothy and in 2 Timothy is about, I'm reminding you, I'm reminding you, I'm reminding you. Now, by extension, we know these letters are read publicly, and Timothy would be saying, hey, listen, this is not just a personal letter to me or to Glenn 2,000 years from now. This is for all of you, right? And some of them would be going, oh, sure, right. Well, it does change right here at this point. And that's where we see it again in chapter 12, verse 14. It'll be back on screen. Remind them of these things. So I, I really actually <laughs> truly love this. And, and actually, as you've heard me repeat, and I just did in uh, our study of these pastoral epistles, these letters were, just like today, read aloud in the church in Ephesus and then shared with other churches in Crete and Corinth and, and Rome and all over the place and read there as well publicly. And in, in these readings, Paul is reminding Timothy of the names of those who have been called out by Paul as false teachers. <laughs> he names them. We're going to see a couple again in the text today. We've already heard the names, but we're going to look at that in a bit. He, he, he calls them out. Now, Timothy, he says, listen, he emphasizes, remind them. So Timothy's reading this letter. You're hearing this right now. So you know, this is, this is for you. <laughs> it's for me. It's for all of us. Remind them. That's us. We too need reminding. We need reminding. Question is exactly what are these things? What are these things? That's important. We'll be looking at that. Well, as I said, this is a hinge. This particular verse is a hinge in the letter. Most commentators will tell you that this is where things change in the letter. And, and it's a hinge. It's, it's now, it was talking to Timothy, but now it's really to the church, really focused on the church at large. And so the answer to that question is as a hinge, um, this is about everything that Timothy has been told before. These things, these things, 
keeping the gospel, guarding the truth, sharing it, not being ashamed, all those things, and all these things that follow that we read today and we will read in the weeks ahead. You'll remember a few weeks ago when we read about Paul reminding Timothy of his sincere faith that he received from his grandmother and uh, his mother, as I've mentioned, that he too has displayed. So as an application at time, I asked all of you to think back, to remind yourselves. It's a healthy exercise. And I think in our study guides, it actually on that week was suggested that in community group, MCG throughout the week, that you share your testimony with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Why? Well, you're reminding yourself of the, those, those days, those moments, those times when Jesus became your Lord and Savior. It's, it's important to be reminded of those things. And then to be reminded of things that happen all the way up until where you are today. Good, the bad, and the ugly, but mostly the good. Brothers and sisters in Christ who've walked with you, exhorted you, rebuked you, loved you in your faith and encouraged you in your faith. And so we need to be reminded of these things so that we might remember. So let's now move on to see what new things Paul wants us and you and I to remember today and in the days ahead. Well, interestingly, after saying remind them, he then says, charge them. I'm sitting in the congregation. Timothy's writing this and he goes, oh, this, Paul's got something to say to me through Timothy. Charge them. And look, he also says, before God. So this is, this is very, it's not before Paul, it's not before Timothy, it's not before Glenn, it's before God. So this is a solemn and serious charge, essentially saying, this is for you, so listen carefully. Listen carefully. But to what? Well, he, he first of all says, do not quarrel about words. The literal Greek is word battles. It's actually two words, but we've got it into quarrel about words. Word battles. We are not told what in those days the word battles were. It's not laid out for us what the word battles were, but there were word battles. And the reality is there have been word battles ever since. And everyone, I will suggest to you, though, in Ephesus knew what those word battles were. Some of them were taking place through these characters we're going to get to in a few minutes, but they knew there were certain words, Greek or otherwise, Hebrew or otherwise, that there were battles over. It's basically battles over the word of God, right? That's the word battles. They're based on that. So throughout history, there have been some epic word battles. I, I, one of the courses that I really loved in seminary was church history. You know, starting from the days of the apostles and then all the way through the, you know, up to the Reformation and so forth. And the Reformation is an important point because there was a major word battle or a series of word battles in the 1600s that divided the church for the rest of history. And it was over the words of Jesus, this is my body, right? You've all heard that, right? We're going to repeat those words at communion this morning. Well, there were a group of people who said, well, no, 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 no. Okay, so what Jesus literally means is, when the priest or the pastor blesses the, the elements, the, the, the bread and the wine, when we bless the bread, that bled, uh, bread literally becomes the body of Jesus. I was raised Catholic. There's a reason why behind the altar in the Catholic church, there's a little safe. <laughs> right? There's a safe where they have a lock on it, and the communion bread that's not used during the communion service goes in there. Why? Because it's got to be protected. It's literally the body of Jesus Christ now. It's 
not true. And so there was another group of people, the reformers, Martin Luther, etc., who were like, hold, hold on, <laughs> no, 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 no. J Jesus was saying, this represents my body. At the Last Supper, remember? This, this is my body, this represents. So, but that was a word battle. That was a big one. And it split, in a major way, the church. Since then, the list of words is almost endless. But one thing I can assure you is, to this very day, every hot-button issue that I know of in the world today and in the culture today, and you all know what they are, we're not going to rehearse them this morning, and you're going, thank you, Pastor, right? But, but they, they all, in, in my opinion, and from what I've seen, they come down to words, just arguments and, 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 and stresses uh, over words. One word, usually in every case, those who would be leaning towards the progressive uh, church today, they've turned this into a virtue. <laughs> the ability to be able to dissect certain words in the Greek and, and, and dissect it in such a way so that eventually, after you've dissected it, it now helps you read the scripture differently than we've read it for 2,000 years because what have we done? Well, we've battled over the words and we've made it and defined it the way we want it. That happens to this day. Endlessly dissecting the word. So Paul's advice, and this is beautiful, to Timothy and to you and I here today is this. It's the same advice that he gave to him in 1 Timothy. Essentially, Timothy, don't waste your time on this. Don't do that. Give yourself to the public reading of the word. <laughs> Preach the word. And pay zero attention to these false teachers. And he actually says that here in a couple of ways. Look at the text. Again, it's on screen for you. First, he says that engaging in word battles does absolutely no good. It's a waste of your time. It is useless, <laughs> initially, really, is what he's saying in those words. And trust me, I know. <laughs> Have you ever been on social media? Oh, my goodness. I've gotten into some of those word battles. And what happens often is just when you think, when you're, you've won, you think, you've convinced them. You've won the battle. You've, you've brought them back to the truth. You, you've, you've shown the truth from God's word of what it actually says, what that word means. All of a sudden, they're back to the very beginning. The cycle starts over again. And that's the point where you shake your head and you go, I don't know. I don't know. He also says, secondly, it ruins the hearers. That's plural, by the way. So it ruins everyone who participates in it is what it's getting at. It ruins you. It's a battle. The Greek word for ruin is actually catastrophe. It's better translated catastrophe. It's catastrophic. Um, a recent battle, you might, maybe many of you know, uh, a denomination in the United States, largest in the United States, great denomination, okay? Nothing uh, bad. It's called the Southern Baptist Convention. Amen? Awesome people godly people. Well, they, they, they have had a word battle for the last two to three years that's like, it's, it's blowing up their denomination. It's really been terrible. It's over one word. You know what the word is? Pastor. I'm serious, right? Some people go, that word pastor is not in the Bible. And we're going, true. <laughs> but the Latin translation of Ephesians 4 for shepherd and he, Jesus himself, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and the teachers. The Latin translation for shepherd is pastor. 
So now, now what's happened, though, is that word pastor has been conflated to be equal to elder, and so that's a problem. So we're not going there this morning, but I was telling you, like the whole denomination, people, churches have been put out of the denomination because they've interpreted that word differently and its importance, and who can hold that title? Word battles. They're not helpful. In fact, what they do with a lot of believers is they just discourage them about the church right? So let's not go there. And again, Paul tells Timothy, here's what you need to do instead. I love this verse. Verse 15. Timothy, Glenn, Christian, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. A worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. I want to emphasize the word worker. That word is not elder. It's not pastor. It's a worker. This is for all of us. But every pastor that I know, like, including myself, loves that verse because it, it does, in my opinion, speak to my calling. As Roman 10, Romans 10, uh, um, uh, 13 to 17, which talks about you know, like preaching the word. How are they going to hear unless someone is sent? How are they going to hear unless someone preaches? Every pastor who turns into a preacher, anyway, is like, that's my mission. That's my call in life. This verse too. It's really, really wonderful. But again, as I've argued, this is for all of us, this verse. All of us are workers in the vineyard of God. Amen? So as one commentator put it, I love the way he put it. He put it this way. Being one who correctly handles, correctly handles, rightly handles, the word requires, listen, getting it straight, keeping it straight, and giving it straight. Let me repeat that. It requires getting it straight, keeping it straight, and then giving it straight. Sharing it with everyone. It's incredibly good. And, and the reason for that is the, the root word for rightly handled or correctly handled, uh, again, is a single word. And you all know this, essentially, but it's the word orthos. It's where we get words like orthopedic, which relates to a straight spine or the healthiness of a straight spine? Or how about orthodoxy? <laughs> straight doctrine, sound doctrine. So the charge to Timothy and to all of us is to impart the word of truth without deviation, keep it straight, and deliver it straight, undiluted. So here it, 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 pardon me, it refers to the straight, uh, precise, and careful, and I'll add faithful communication of the word of truth of the gospel. Here and everywhere that you and I share the word of God. The apostolic command to get it and give it straight has become really the charge of every preacher and pastor and responsibility since that day. But every responsibility of every Christian is to keep it straight. It says in the scripture that I will be held to a higher account than you. Why? Because I'm standing up here publicly proclaiming it. Doesn't let you off the hook for not giving it straight and keeping it straight. It doesn't give any of us that. And so this is the charge for all of us. It's built on the importance of, of sitting under, listen, faithful exposition of the word of God in the faithful church that does that, yes, but then going into community and faithfully digging deeper, getting it straight for yourself, keeping it straight, and then giving it straight. And so out of that, Paul's words are that what will happen if that's the case, and our goal should be that we are approved by God, not man. We're approved by God in this verse, it says. 
And that will also lead us to being never ashamed of the testimony of Christ or his gospel of salvation. Paul goes on. I mean, that's, that's encouraging, isn't it? Come on. That's really good stuff. That's what you should do instead of this. But then, it's like, he, it's like he, but then verses 16 and 17. But, okay, here we go again. Avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus. Philetus, I believe, is actually the proper pronunciation. Well, that's really great. So again, this is being read publicly. <laughs> Hymenaeus and Philetus are likely there. Or maybe they're taking a snow day. I don't know. But they're, they're, the people know who they are. And people are hearing their names being mentioned here. And it's crazy that, they, that he would do this. But it's, it's necessary to be done. We, we actually met Hymenaeus in 1 Timothy uh, when Paul mentioned to, to Timothy that, oh yeah, by the way, this guy, Hymenaeus, yeah, I put him out of the church. I, I, I excommunicated him. I put him out of the church. And then it says, and it won't be on screen, but in 1 Timothy 1.20, I delivered him unto Satan in order that he may learn not to blaspheme. It's pretty, pretty serious. Pretty serious. And so it seems now, four and a half, five years later, He's back, and he's got a new sidekick with him. So first, they've been up to, what have they been up to? Well, they've been up to irreverent Babel. Do you remember the Tower of Babel, the whole story of the Tower of Babel? What was that all about? Confusing the languages of the people. Irreverent Babel is just confusing talk. It's not getting it straight, keeping it straight, and giving it straight. It's just like, what? Did I say that again? No, no, please don't actually, don't say it again. It's irreverent babble. It's, it's unholy. And, and as we will see, it's related to false teaching about the resurrection. But first, char- uh, Paul charges us to avoid those who engage in such babble, those who participate in it. And why? Because it leads to ungodliness. And as their babbling chatter spreads, it deadens and, and can actually deaden any flicker of faith that, you know the word gangrene? We, we don't, we don't, it doesn't land as heavy on us as it did to the people in that day. Do you know gangrene? Uh, you would know it if your skin was red or black. And, and gangrene is very serious. Gangrene means that this is, it's dead. It's dying. And if it's not treated, it will kill the rest of you. It's very serious. And it would have landed very heavily on them. And so they were also up to these two guys in verse 18. It says, who have swerved from, keywords, the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some. So remember once again, the overarching theme of this letter and the primary charge that Paul has given to Timothy and to us is to guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Guard the truth. These guys have swerved. They've swerved. They've careened off course is really what it literally is saying to us. Right off course. And they, they, their current lane is full of false teaching, and somehow it is related to the resurrection in this way. Their insistence that the resurrection has already taken place was not primarily about Christ's resurrection. Everybody knew that. They, they weren't countering that or anything like that. 
Rather, their insistence was that the final resurrection, the great resurrection where we are resurrected with Christ in our resurrected bodies, that's already taken place. And so their idea was, I think these guys were the, the original prosperity gospel guys, right? Their, their, their whole point was is that, hey, like we should be living in the blessings and enjoying all the blessings of the resurrected life now. And then what they would do is they would point to Paul and say, obviously what he teaches and the way he's teaching hasn't worked out well for him, has it? So they countered Paul in that way. The sad thing is, and we see from our text today, they had followers. They had people going, yeah, you know, I don't want to be persecuted like Paul. I don't don't want to end up like that. It must be because he's not doing it right. Like he's not living the Christian life the right way. Why isn't God protecting him? Why isn't God keeping him safe? Why is God allowing him to be put to death? They had an impact. Paul ends with these two, with this verse, which is really powerful. Timothy, God's firm foundation stands, bearing the seal. The Lord knows those who are his. And let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. So once again, Paul wants to assure Timothy that despite how much we might want to worry about the impact of these two guys, of these false teachers and their teachings, how they might lead our friends, those we've loved as family, those we've walked in with in ministry, how they might lead them away and potentially from faith, Paul essentially says, as he's been saying, is don't, listen, don't worry or focus on them and their teaching, Paul. Timothy, don't do that. It's in the end, Timothy, Glenn, you you should know this. Christian, you should know this. I, you, we cannot save anyone. We can't. We can't fix each other. We can love one another, but we can't do that. That's the power of God. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. And so listen, again, he's, Timothy, church, remain focused. Preach the word. Guard the truth. So both of these quotations, by the way, you see in verse 19, are taken actually from the story in the 16th chapter of the book of Numbers. This is very interesting. I've got to share this with you before we close. And it's about the rebellion of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. During Israel's wandering through the wilderness, those wonderful days, right, these three men actually challenged the authority of Moses. Like, (laughs) Moses is, is God's spokesman, Right? He's the one leading the people of Israel in God's power and strength. And and basically, they're saying, why do you listen to Moses? He's no different than we are. We are men of understanding just like him. You should be listening to us. You should be listening to our preaching and teaching. Like, this this has taken an awful long time following Moses. Maybe if he followed us, these things would, what? So what does Moses do? Well, Moses prayed to his God and Father, who he had regular meetings with and heard from directly, and it was very interesting. God told him that uh, he was to ask an order, Koran, Dathan, and Abraham, uh, and their families to stand at a certain place in the ground, right? All together, all their family, all lined up together. Do any of you know what happened in number 16? Yeah, the ground opened up, and they fell in, and God closed up the ground, and that was the end of that. God deals with these things. God knows who are his. 
I don't, you don't, none of us do. But he will deal with these things. The apostle says that those who are genuine in faith will depart from iniquity. Not might, will depart from iniquity. You will know them by their fruit. The sign of their Christian life is they will, yeah, we all mess up, just like Paul, right? What am I doing? Why, why did I do that again this week, right? Ah, I know what I'm supposed to do, but, but there's sanctification. There's departing from iniquity. There's repentance, followed by forgiveness and growth in the human, in the Christian. That is the test of every true believer. There is a life in him or her that will not compromise itself. There's a point at which those who will walk away for a time or a season will, if they're the Lord's, the Lord will bring them back. Amen? What's our responsibility at that time? Pray for them. (laughs) Love them. Welcome them. So Paul's encouragement, I'll close with this today to Timothy and to you and I here today, church, is this, this just happens. It's going to happen. It does happen. We know that. It's sad, but it's going to happen. And, and, and all of us are in God's hand and in his timing. He will deal with this situation. And so they must leave at some point the false teaching that they're following because at the end of the day, they can't live with themselves. They realize it's wrong and they return to God maybe to the Rock Church if they've left the Rock Church or the Baptist Church or Grace Church on 99, or we find out years later that they've returned to the faith at least and are going to a healthy church in Vancouver. Amen, that's awesome. That's what Paul's trying to encourage us with today. And yet, the Apostle John speaks about the fact that there are those who are clearly apostate. In 1 John, it'll be on screen, chapter 2, verse 19, John says, speaking of certain individuals in his church. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For they had been, if if they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that it may may become plain that they are, that they all are not of us. Very, very difficult words. We don't want to believe that about anyone, do we? To conclude then, Paul encourages Timothy and the church to remember who you are. Remember who you are. Keep watch over your own soul, right? Keep the word straight. Give it straight and spend the rest of our days guarding this truth and departing from all iniquity in our own hearts and lives. Good word, eh? It's the word from the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you that, Holy Spirit, you prompted Paul to write Timothy's those words in that day, because you also knew that they were struggling with these things. But you also knew what was ahead of them. They didn't. Neither do we. So all of this is by faith, Lord. And Lord, in this day, um, yeah, Lord, we, we, we want... We want the good life. We want to flourish as Christians. And and you have provided that for us. You have shown us a way to enjoy our life today in you and in trust in faith in you. And yet, Lord, we have these struggles. We struggle with these things. We struggle. We have loved ones from family and friends, not just from our church, but from our own family who've walked away. And so, Lord, we pray you would give us encouragement 
that God, you know who are yours, and you will restore them. You promised that. And so, Lord, we pray in the meantime, you would help keep us faithful to your word and to the life that you've called us to. And I pray this in your worthy name, Jesus. Amen.